This is Silicon Reel, the half hour dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Uh, my name is Brian Rose. I also host a show called London Reel, which is a similar trialogue format. It's a little bit longer in length. Uh, my co-host today and uh, partner in the whole Silicon Reel venture is uh, Mr. Bryce Keene. He is the Hello. founder and director of Albion Drive, and he's also a member and co-founder of The Three Beards. And if you haven't heard of The Three Beards, then I pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> because they are, a, they are a London phenomenon. They host the uh, Silicon Drinkabout, which is a weekly get-together for anyone who uh, is in the tech community or if you're like in a zoo and you want to go look at them because you, you can go. Anyone can go. There's no, uh, no sign-up. There's nothing like that. You also run uh, monthly events called uh, Don't Pitch Me Bro and quarterly uh, Digital Sizzle. So uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being part of this crazy venture. Good know? to be back. Good to be back in the Yeah, city. no, it's very good. And our guest today is Mr. John Collison, who is the co-founder of Stripe, um, a company that makes it easy to start accepting credit cards on the web today. I ripped that straight from your site. <laughs> no, it's accurate. I okay. mean, that's why we have it on the website. Perfect. Um, you are from uh, Limerick, Ireland. Uh, you live in Silicon Valley, um, which, uh, according to Bryce, is not a place but a marketing concept. <laughs> so you live in a marketing concept. Um, th- that's what Bryce said on his London Real Show. Um, I think you've attended Harvard a mm-hmm. little bit, and yep. he's also a pilot. Um, John, welcome to Silicon Real. No, it's good to be here. Um, I think I hit London during its one day of summer, uh, which oh, is a good, a good time yeah. to visit. You brought the weather with you, right? Yeah, I right. wish I could say it's been like this all year, but it really hasn't. <laughs> but, you know, as, as immigrants to this town, we know not to complain about the weather. Oh, yeah. Well, all three we're, of us. We're better than that. I guess you know, so. We're all expats. You know, I must say, um, this rarely happens, but I already have some beef with John, and, and this is why. Uh-oh. You know, he went to Harvard, and I went to MIT down the street, and we're both pilots but he is what we call a fixed-wing pilot, which means he flies airplanes. And I fly helicopters. And the two groups hate each other. They do? They do. My, no. All my pilot, all my instructors are always like, yeah, we don't like those fixed-wing guys. So, Explain why we hate each other. So, uh, so there's this thing where, like, um, uh, MIT students always talk about how they, like, have this whole rivalry with Harvard and they'll, like, you know, like, play pranks on the Harvard statue. And then the Harvard students are like... Who? Who? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it seemed like, like the helicopter <laughs> pilot thing. I'm oh. like, uh, helicopter pilots, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, um, <laughs> helicopters are cool. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, a little bit dangerous. I go for the safer forms of transportation. But uh, no, fair enough. My instructor was always, you know, they just start a rivalry right away because, <laughs> and and it never made sense to me. He's like, yeah, we can hover. And I'm like, all right, well, you know. Okay. <laughs> that, was his, that was his big yeah, moment. Yeah, he's like, we can hover. I'm trying to picture like a Top Gun moment, but I don't know what the helicopter parts would look like. like it's like it's really weird. They just weird. sit there hovering. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like, like, check this out. Lying in wait. Yeah. Elevated. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. But I'm glad you put those to, to but, waste. Actually, the MIT guys don't really think about the Harvard guys. How long, no, they don't. You're right. Yeah. Um, uh, how long have you uh, been flying helicopters? I started actually in Chicago uh, probably about 10 years ago. And then when I moved to London, I kept it up. Um, but really? I actually don't have my license yet, but about, I've got about 60 hours in an R-22, nice. which is a two-man helicopter. It's basically a lawnmower in the sky. It's Ooh. a piston engine, so you're like, you know. So actually, I have this checklist that I go through on London Real every day, and that's from piloting, mm-hmm. because you have to go through, like, every little thing, because you forget that one thing, right. you fall oh, out of the sky. I'm sure yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same with Yeah, it's the same in fixed wing, and uh, you're right about the aircraft and that, uh, you know, occasionally I'll take, uh, take someone up for a spin, uh, and uh, when we go flying, I think they have a very different picture in their head of what it is, and you're in this like 80 horsepower 
like uh, you know two seater with an eighty horsepower engine uh, is what I trained in, and uh, like you know most cars have double that horsepower. They're like these like uh, totally tiny precarious things, and it's loud too, right? Oh, it's loud. Yeah, people yeah. don't know it's that loud. And it's bumpy. Yeah, and it's bumpy too. I, I mean, I was reading your story, and uh, you you moved from Limerick to Silicon Valley when you were like seventeen or eighteen. I mean, that's yeah. So it's, it, it's quite a move. Uh, basically. Um, uh, Patrick, my co-founder at Stripe, uh, and I, we, we started a company before Stripe um, uh, called Automatic that did tools for eBay sellers. Uh, and then that was acquired in 2008 uh, and then went back to Ireland, uh, then started college, uh, and then during college uh, ended up uh, started working on Stripe. Because you know, you know yourself, when you, when you start working on something, it's not like one day you decide, oh, I'm going to start a company. Uh, the, the whole gestation process is pretty gradual, and so we had been talking about these kind of ideas. And like with Stripe specifically, we had been talking for a while about when we had been doing Automatic, our last startup, like how miserable it was, like the payments part of it, but also how... like. The banks who you traditionally had to go through to accept payments online uh, just didn't get it. Uh, like, you know, traditionally to like open a merchant account, if you wanted to swipe payments for your, you know, for your brick and mortar store, you would like be there filling out all this paperwork and you know sending it off, and a few weeks later you get approved. And then the internet came along, and you know, banks' response to the internet was to put a PDF version of their application form <laughs> online. Uh, and you're like, guys, that's not what the internet is about. Uh, and so Patrick and I very much uh, came out striped from the. Uh, like the angle of engineers and the angle of, um, you know, what if we build a set of APIs for people doing stuff with payments and we like built that set of APIs and we got one person using this and then two and then uh, very, very gradually building it out. And obviously the tricky thing was that, uh, I mean, we didn't know that much about the, the financial sector, so we had to learn as we go, as we went. It's, it's a crazy place, this, the financial mm-hmm. sector, because all the banks have been there forever. Yeah. And, and I think by nature, they're trying to protect it. It's the innovator's dilemma. They don't want to kill their own business model. Mm-hmm. I used to work in the banking industry. It's a very profitable business model, even when times are hard. Yeah. So uh, it must be tough. Yeah, and you're exactly right. It's, it's the innovator's dilemma. Like, if you look at some... If you look at... Um, an industry like web hosting. Uh, you know, previously in web hosting, if you were to do anything, you'd have to like buy managed, uh, you know, servers uh, and like have them in a colo, uh, and you're paying whatever amount per month, and that's like so before you serve your first web request. Uh, and so there was this like incentive to keep the status quo around because it meant that like uh, running whatever tiny small traffic website, uh, you know, started at you know thousands of dollars a month. Uh, and and so the like the hugely disruptive thing about uh, uh, AWS or Heroku or all of these is like they're charging on a you know per unit of computing power basis or you know per web request basis uh, and so um, like you're, for all the small users for all the users who aren't getting that much value out of it uh, they're, they're not paying very much and so it's not in the traditional web hosting company's interest for this this uh, for this whole model to promulgate and that is the classic innovator's dilemma right it's like you know mm-hmm. acting against your interests by serving this like lower end of the market uh, and, and so I think it was similar in financial services where like um, you know the, the banks were interested in the kind of large e-commerce companies and everyone else they, they didn't really care about and um, uh, and you know there was like high monthly fees it was like all a relationship business where you had your account manager and everything uh, and the way the web is going that is not how uh, payments online should work and so um, we took a lot of our cues from, you know, other instances like, the, you know, like we talk a lot about cloud hosting because I think it's a good case where you have a very, you know, old school way of doing business just like completely released by a technology platform. 
When did you, when, when did you uh, first hear about these guys, and, what, and what's, your, what's your read on them? Because you, you see all sorts of different companies every day, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I, met, um, I met John uh, last time he was in London. Mm -hmm. um, so Stripe have just uh, set up a, a European operation for the first time, which is really interesting. So they're obviously uh, branching out here, and, uh, and John was in town visiting a local team and uh, got in touch with us and came down to a drink about and very kindly stood there for a good four or five hours answering just about everyone's questions because he's quite well known in the tech scene. Uh, particularly, why, I think, is that? why is that? Because I don't think you have many... <clears throat> so the one, the one element of, uh, that's, I think, with John's story that you, you breezed over is that um, when he was 17, Octomatic was mm -hmm. obviously um, got into Y Combinator, which is the most prestigious accelerator in the world. It's given rise to uh, all sorts. Reddit came from Y Combinator, Songkick, uh, I think Airbnb, Dropbox. Airbnb, Dropbox. Kind of folks, yeah. This is like, this place is sort of just... Off the charts as far are as these, are these PayPal good. founders, or is that a different? Uh, is that a different? No, Paul sorry. Graham yeah, uh, Paul Graham uh, and a few others started Y Combinator. They had uh, had a very successful um, web business early on, and and they, uh, I think, they got a lot of uh, what was important about web web businesses, and they really shaped the ecosystem. Uh, and then separately, we ended up raising money from the some of the PayPal co-founders. Um, but uh, but yeah, YC was was one of our first investors. So uh, after they, they they bought Optimatica, is that right? So it merged. Didn't it, with, an, uh, with, an, with another company? Or? Yeah, we, we merged with um, uh, these two uh, British founders, Harjit and uh, Kulveer Tagar, uh, and uh, it was it was bought by a Canadian company actually uh, by wow. the name of LifeGrant um, uh, a year later. But uh, no, that just makes me think of something. I mean, the whole reason we're doing this show is because it's about people yeah, and relationships. Right. And I, I'm, I'm curious for you. You know, they see a young guy who obviously isn't afraid of coding and jumping into doing stuff. They merged or bought your old company. I mean, do you keep these relationships up with these people? And how much of that is due to your success? It's like your next venture. Oh yeah, I mean, I think um, you you do, but I think that's just like natural. That's normal. Everyone does, right? And so uh, Harge and I are still pretty good friends and cool as well. Harge is now actually a partner at Y Combinator, so it's like all full circle. We were a Y Combinator company, uh, and Harge is now a, a partner there. Wow. Uh, and so uh, uh, it's pretty cool how these things work out. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's quite it's quite interesting seeing. I just actually met in met up with. Uh, I randomly bumped into a guy in White Bear Yard, which is uh, where our office is based uh, here on on Clerkenwell. Uh, I ran into someone who uh, had helped us out uh, in 2007 with some automatic stuff, uh, and it's you know it's funny how these things persist. Now you're back in London. You used to live in Limerick. Now you live in Silicon Valley. Is any part of you feel like just canceling that plane flight home and staying here in London? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I well well it's funny uh, I don't I don't think I w would live in Ireland anytime soon uh, just because like uh, San Francisco or the you know the Bay Area and the the US is so big and there's so much to explore and you know I haven't gotten a chance to live in New York yet or anything like that but there's so much there uh, and so I don't have any imminent plans to return to Ireland but London I'm I'm really liking uh, and I realize that's like the thing everyone says when they visit a place but uh, I mean I actually do really like it uh, I feel like a lot of the um, specifically uh, uh, I really like the I mean the culture and the openness of people here and just like getting to know people and uh, you know Bryce and I I mean we have only met each other once or twice uh, and yet we're like here you know doing this and next things and like it's much easier to get to know people here mm -hmm. um, um, and uh, you also have like London has this like amazing feel about it just even the architecture and the infrastructure and you know uh, on um, you know in San Francisco you take the Bart which is this like dirty old from the 50s like screaming train that's super loud underground and it's miserable I don't know if you've ever taken it, but uh, Long time ago. and here you've the like <laughs> gorgeously clean underground trains and like the the wow. Barclays bikes. I've been like cycling around the city all week, um, and 
so I, I think London is like super livable. I would have never thought someone from you know San Francisco area would have said a the tubes are clean or b that you enjoy cycling in this city. So we're having our moment. I'm telling I, you, I was we're awesome. Moment. I, I was uh, <laughs> I was cycling uh, yesterday down Oxford Street and it was like like a game of Frogger in that like oh, you have the bu- yeah, yeah, yeah the buses you, and you, the, yeah, yeah. You have the buses like passing each other and yeah. I think cars aren't allowed on Oxford Street. You know, it's a, it's it's it, dangerous. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's all yeah, just it's, it's all duck and weave. Um, I want to just ask you a, a, a bit about Stripe, and I want to just ask you very generally, like, what's been your biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment over the past, what's it been, three years, two years? Um, three or four. Okay. Yeah. Um, biggest surprise, um, I get, hmm. uh, the biggest disappointment, I mean, I, I think the, uh, like, if you were to graph kind of happiness or success or, you know, uh, of, of a startup over time, it's like very spiky and very noisy and like you have up days and down days and you, you, need, to, you need to be able to even it out or otherwise you'll end up being like miserable on 50% of days. It's kind of like, uh, this is a Nassim Taleb's thing in Fooled by Randomness um, that we're, you know, we're uh, oversensitive to the noise. Uh, and there's like a lot of noise in startups where um, you'll have like lots and lots of, uh, you know, minute uh, disappointments. Like, we haven't had anything major go wrong at Stripe. You know, we've never had some, like, you know, huge lawsuit, touch wood, or, uh, you know, uh, anything go catastrophically wrong with the product. There's been lots of kind of minor things that we've been... Uh, that, that we've been disappointed with, but I think the whole point of a startup is that you need to be like good at taking that into your stride. And one thing that's been really cool to see as the company has grown is, you know, when you start out, you're these like, you know, you're uh, two or three or four or five people working on uh, this idea, and it's not even clear if this like idea is a good idea, and it's not even clear if anyone will use it. And you know, it, it's very much uh, you in this like uncertain limbo of uh, is this like a startup or is this like four, four guys wasting their time uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and as the number of people working on it grows, you get this very cool sense of like shared mission and shared common purpose. Uh, and mm. uh, that's one of the nice things because that helps, you know, even out the, you know, even out the, um, uh, those bumps because, you know, even if you're having a down day and things aren't going well in your area, someone else is doing stuff. And so we, we actually do a lot of Stripe to try and um, to promulgate this uh, you know, the fact that we're like, you know, now 55 people all working on this one shared thing. And so, uh, for example, when you ship something at Stripe, like a feature or a product or a new thing, you'll like send out an email to everyone. Uh, so we have this like shipped at stripe.com mailing list. Uh, and that's just like one of those little things where like you're part of a larger collective thing rather than like you miserably kind of hammering away on your own part of it. Um, so, which I realize is not answering your original question. Of, so the like, whole company gets that email that we're all launching this thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, I doesn't even have to be like a public-facing feature. You know, like our, our lawyer will send shipped emails that we have like signed some agreement or our, you know, like uh, sales folks or like our support team that they, you know, have got down to inbox zero on tickets or this kind of stuff. <laughs> inbox uh, zero. Cool. I mean, it's important. I like that. Um, it's just extra communication, ultra communication. Oh, yeah. So we do. I mean, I could, I could go on for like a whole podcast uh, about communication because, you know, we have a lot of stuff around it. But in general, what we try to do at Stripe is like just like surface as much communication as possible and be as much of a, a hive mind as possible. And so we like have a, like this whole intricate email um, email list structure where you can share information across groups and you can be subscribed to. It's like a subscription model uh, 
where you can be like pulling in from all these different areas rather than you don't have to be like listening to one channel. So it's not like you know, you're on the sys team or you're on the you know, product team or you're on the sales team or you're on mm-hmm. the support team. What happens is like, uh, a lot of stuff is organized via mailing lists and uh, then you can like choose I'm going to like be part of these discussions and these discussions and so like even though I don't work on like systems infrastructure day to day I'll still keep up with the discussions it means that like everyone can be part of like a lot of the larger you know things that are going on rather than being segmented into their their one area uh, which we think is cool I think that's good uh, that's good strategy I mean, I guess that's, I mean, and that's probably like your open layout. You were saying you don't have a receptionist, and is it just like free flow of ideas? Uh, well, well I, I mean, it's, I feel like, I, I know the, uh, I really like Mad Men. And, uh, Me too. Uh, <laughs> I, I worry about myself because well, I like it so much. One of the reasons I really like Mad Men is like, Don Draper has this amazing ability to sound, make, like, completely meaningless things sound really interesting and like you know attach a narrative to nothing at all and so he'll be talking about you know uh, like in the most recent one Hershey's and like what Hershey's means and Hershey's is happiness uh, and I feel like uh, sometimes people pitching uh, you know ideas on collaboration can be a little like that and you're talking about like free flow of ideas and you know like 99% of a startup is not about like free flow of ideas it's like having a clear idea of what you're doing and like executing on that uh, and being able to like really get stuff done and get a f- stuff done at a faster pace than everyone else uh, mm. and so uh, it's a little bit of the you know everyone sitting around talking about their like free flow of ideas but at the same time uh, we do think that uh, one like sharing information is just like really important because uh, one thing we try to do at Stripe is like we don't have like all these ver- different layers of management uh, like everyone is working on their own individual thing and so people no matter kind of wh- how long they've been there or what they're working on it's like an individual working on uh, tasks rather than rather than managing a team and so for example we don't have product managers at Stripe uh, which is a fairly traditional role within uh, tech companies uh, where that person is responsible for uh, just like specking the product and managing it but not actually implementing it instead there'll be like a you know two or three four person engineering team or like you know two engineers and a designer working on something and they will um, and like one of the one of the engineers will just do the product management part time, so they will be responsible for making sure everything that is getting done that needs to be done for it shipped yeah. uh, for it to be shipped. Uh, they're the ones responsible for like talking to the users along the way and making sure that this actually like solves the person's problem. Um, but uh, so you know, people have the, you know a huge amount of autonomy in how they do things. If you're if people are going to have all that autonomy, one of the things you need is like they need to very clearly understand what's going on at the company and like you know what our plans are for the next you know and months and uh, also what everyone else is working on. So if I'm dependent on, you know, if I'm working on this product and we're also going to need to get the, like, you know, uh, get some deal done and, like, sign some contract, I need to know, like, how up to speed the, the legal team is with this and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so the, the whole point of the mailing list structures and, like, the general free fruit free flow of information across the, the company is that uh, people can work much better autonomously if they, like, can keep as much of the state of the company in their head as possible rather than all these independent departments who don't really know what, what the other one is doing. And so, you know, we also have, like, fairly regular all-hands meetings where, you know, it, there's actually a lot of detail on what each team is doing, even if it mightn't be, like, directly relevant to what you're doing today. It's pretty important to know the, the general direction. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit you with a devil's advocate question, and then okay. you need to come up with one, too. And I'm just looking at the business model for the first time, and I'm like, okay, um, I, I look at your company. Um, you're a new company. You're, you're, I look at your fees. It's, like, 2.9% of transaction. You're very upfront about that. 30 cents a transaction. And I say, that's the same as Master card that's the same as paypal you're a new company how do i know if you will go insolvent i'll get my money i'm sure you hear all these questions all the time what do you say to that um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can give you the standard answer is that, you know, if we're... If we're <laughs> or give me your answer. Well, well you know, if we're having a, you know, a newspaper, a newspaper interview, um, I'll, I'll say that, like, uh, one, uh, as the, you know, as the business, the money is always held in your name. And so when you charge a credit card, it's like your money, it's not Stripe's money. And so, you know, even if Stripe went insolvent, you would just, like, get all that money, uh, which is, like, a pretty nice property to have. Uh, but I, I think the general question you're asking is about, like, why do people use Stripe if... Um, it's like priced the same uh, as you know other things, uh, and I think the reason is Stripe really lets people build things that they either like that they wouldn't otherwise build, and so we see all these like cool use cases um, that uh, you probably know Squarespace, the like yeah, yeah, online yeah. type of one of so, our sponsors oh, for London Real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Squarespace, nice <laughs> Squarespace uses Stripe for a bunch of stuff, and they use it for um, like managing their subscription payments. Um, uh, and so, you know, uh, when you sign up for Squarespace first, you enter your credit card number and you get a free trial and then you're, like, billed every month after that. Uh, and they also use, um, uh, they use it so that uh, Squarespace sites can really easily start accepting payments. So imagine you're, like, a photographer and you set up your Square, Squarespace site. Uh, the, you're there, you know, adding your, adding your photos to it and you're like, oh, I want to... Um, I want to actually sell, like, sell prints online. Uh, you can use Squarespace's commerce features, and you can just click, boop, uh, link my Stripe account, and you're accepting, um, you're accepting, like, you're selling prints online uh, two minutes later. And before this, Squarespace, if they'd wanted to let people do that, if they'd wanted to add commerce features, they would have had to like have people go get a merchant account and like fill out all that paperwork and yeah. maybe hear back like many weeks later. And the point is, like, you know. No one would really do that. Everyone would fall out of the conversion funnel. Like Squarespace is just like it doesn't make as much sense to build this product to let your users accept payments if mm. you know something like Stripe isn't around. And so I think like it, it's not so much you know what um, you know why would I use you versus this versus this. It's like the fact that you have this set of APIs that's really powerful that you can do things that like other other. Um, you can't necessarily do with PayPal or, or like a merchant account. I think that's why people use. So it. you're ultimately not a finance company or a technology company. Yes. Oh, uh, and we like we, we say that all the time. We like say that till we're blue in the face. And and I think the interesting thing is like you know we're a technology company, and yes, there there is a, a financial part of that, but that's a little bit like saying. Um, I don't even have a good analogy for it, but uh, uh, but uh, you know. Uh, uh, like Transport for London is like a transportation company. They're not, uh, you know, they're not in the business of producing wheels or trains. They're like about getting people around, and so that's right. why they get into all their other things. And similarly, like moving money around is uh, is like part of what we do. But the core of what we do is like providing better technology so people can build better apps, build better websites. And we're seeing like all sorts of cool stuff being built with uh, Stripe right now. So do, do you know Lyft and Sidecar, the ride-sharing services? Uh, Sidecar. In, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the ride-sharing services they're uh, in a lot of places in the U.S. So like Lyft uses Stripe. Uh, and what they use it for is uh, it's, it's, it's super cool. It's this app you uh, take it out of your pocket, uh, you sign up, uh, and you like give them a credit card or something like that. Uh, then when you're anywhere in the city, if you're anywhere in San Francisco, you like tap a button and like a car comes to pick you up, uh, and they drop you off where you want to go, and the fare is just deducted from your you know, uh, fr- from your card on file. The interesting part about it is, like, these aren't cabs. These are just, like, normal people driving their cars. And so, like, normal people can also sign up for this service. You can, like, become a driver if you want to earn income on the sides. And so the people driving for them are a lot of, like, students, a lot of people working part-time, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so you can imagine if you're, if you're, if you're Lyft, uh, the real challenge here is, like, not only do you need to, like, charge money, but you also need to, like, you're not the one collecting it. You're not collecting it purely on behalf of yourself. You're, like, paying out all these drivers. And so Lyft used Stripe to say that, okay, we're going to store all these 
these like customer payment credentials, and then we're going to like when we charge twenty dollars, say okay, you know whatever seven. I don't know what the ratios are, but like seventeen of it goes here to the driver, and we keep three of it for ourselves or something like that. Okay. Uh, and so they're doing this like kind of complex, multifaceted thing that like I, I don't even know if you can do that with PayPal or a merchant account. It's interesting because yeah, we look at it originally as a consumer, but then when you're a vendor, all of a sudden. I was just gonna say, Brian, <laughs> if you start taking donations, you're gonna be using. Stripe, I know, it's on weird because he's like Squarespace. Now you can sell your photos, and everyone's like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now like now now you're the the best thing. You're but but, but you're totally right on the on the technology company part. You know the interesting like the the, the amazing thing about the uh, the internet is that uh, like it, it it's breaking down. You, you just break down all these geographic barriers. Like, you know, we were talking about UFC earlier. If you go on a, USC, a UFC forum, it'll be, um, you know, guys from the US and Australia and South Africa and the UK just, like, all talking together and, like, no regard paid to the geographic boundaries. Uh, mm. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with Stripe, but for the, like, the internet economy and that right now the internet economy is, like, quite... Uh, like fractured, like if the U.S. money flows around within the U.S. and you know South African money flows around within South Africa, and we're trying to do is make it easy for like anyone anywhere to just like start participating in the broader web economy and make that like more interlinked and more global. And I know that sounds kind of like very high level, but that's actually a really meaningful thing. And so that's why we're that's why we're in London. That's why there's like four of us based here now. Is that uh, London's probably going to be the hub for as we start uh, expanding into Europe and again making it so that like you know uh, if I'm just like a developer in Denmark building a service that people really like um, that I can um, that I can start using it. And but we see this all the time where people uh, it's like people all over the world that form the web community and that form the web we use today. Like uh, Travis CI is like a pretty popular continuous integration tool. There are like some guys based in Germany. Uh, if you send out like mailings to your users, you probably use Campaign Monitor, which is based out of Melbourne or Sydney? Uh, Sydney, I think. Sydney, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so we want to kind of like have there be more of this, have the web be more global. Well, I mean, uh, London's always been the currency capital of the world. You could say New York is for stock markets, but mm-hmm. for currency, it's always London. It's mm-hmm. right between Tokyo and, and mm-hmm. New York, and it's a smart place to be. It must be tricky, though, when you're dealing with all these ra- random countries and offshore dollar accounts and all that stuff. Uh, I'm guessing it is. But anyway, I want to ask Bryce. I'm putting you on the spot. Yep. <clears throat> if you had to ask him a, a devil's advocate question, what, what would it be? I don't know. I've got a, I've got a, I've more of a devil's advocate question. A different I've got, question. I've got a different question. Yeah, yeah. It's not so much devil's advocate. So yeah. like, I, I want to know about... So the one thing that you um, you may have uh, glossed over is that... Uh, is that Second uh, thing I've glossed over. Second thing you've glossed I do over. You're just of, glossing over everything. All the glossing. Everything. We're having yeah. all the glossing. Dude, so, you guys drop all these big names and these big, like, why, you know, why combinate? Why, why do you, and I mean, like, uh, you're, a lot of people don't know these things, but in your niches, everyone knows these things. Well, so so one Continue. of the things I, I want to explore one of the things about John Colson that I find quite fascinating, aside from the fact that he's a dude who comes to drink about and will spend five hours talking to people he doesn't know. It's pretty cool, which is very nice about it. Which thank you for that. Um, is that uh, John's co-founder Patrick is in fact his brother, if I'm not mistaken? Mystery, intrigue. So in fact, he, he was my brother before he was my co-founder. It, well, see <laughs> timelines. Just discovered. We mucked up the timelines. <laughs> my my my, do, my documents are out of order. But um, but the, the reason I find this interesting is I, you know I want to get to like uh, you know what was it like. Growing up in the Colson household, when did you guys learn to code? Because we're talking about we're talking about Y Combinator at 17 years old with a product that was then acquired. So, you the two of you together, there's what one year between you or two years between you? Uh, two. Two. Had I mean, one of the things we face most often, and the reason I bring this up, and I was quite curious about your sort of childhood and growing up, is um, always one of the things that we hear a lot is the shortage of of developers and developing mm-hmm. talent. Now, the two of you together, it's, it's rare enough to find one person in a family who's a wonderful coder, 
having two that are, that are brothers and also co-founders is, is, I find, really interesting, not only because it's a local European thing, but, of course, the age you started and the business and then off. And yeah, I mean, I think the thing about... So Patrick learned to, to code when he was, I think, nine, or started coding when he was nine. Uh, I think learn to code has this, like, you know, air of completeness, completeness and finality about it. Yeah, and it's, yeah, like, yeah. completely inaccurate. I learned to code, and then I was done with <laughs> learning to code, and I knew all the code, and it was great uh, at nine. And ten, I moved on to philosophy. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But so he started coding when he was nine. I was a bit later. I was you know, 14. Uh, and, you know, it was like both of us in the early days messing around with uh, websites. Actually, we just, um, the we both learned to um, uh, code from this book, uh, the PHP Visual Quick Start Guide by Larry Ellman. Uh, and Larry actually just joined Stripe uh, last week. Uh, Whoa. No, this week, which is pretty cool. Okay, that's uh, full circle. Uh, f- that's totally full circle. Yeah. And like, we have this like highlighted, marked up copy from like 15 years ago. Did you ask him to sign it when he came in? Could you, could you uh, yeah, well, we met him for the first time uh, about half a year or a year ago. And uh, I'm not sure if he signed up, but we got, we got a photo, which is good. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, we learned, to, we learned to code then. And I think the thing that's valuable is uh, it's not like some people uh, learn to code at a young age and they take it to it like ducks to water and they end up having like amazing engineering contributions their whole life and that's awesome but specifically within the the startup community and I think you know the the general debate around you know you're reading the papers all the time like should everyone be learning to code and Mm. this kind of thing I think there is a value to like just like everyone should learn to write but not necessarily become a writer and I think there is uh, you know same like everyone learns maths in school even though you know a lot of it you know you don't use calculus in in most of your day to day life Um, and, and I think there is also an element of uh, this in engineering her forming a like a, a building block for the things you do in the future and understanding the you know the, the technologies change and the frameworks change but understanding the general principles and ideas mm. uh, I think sets you up much better because you know the thing about the, the math you learn is that um, you're not learning the specifics of how to do you know I don't know did you do trading or whatever when you were in finance or you're not if you become an accountant you're not learning accounting but it gives you all the like building blocks for that and I think uh, learning some kind of building blocks such that later down the road if you uh, end up doing stuff um, really helps you and the second thing that I think is valuable about knowing how to code is for startups it gives you this this self-reliance. If you want to start, you know, mm. an online publication, you probably start off by writing the pieces yourself. And even if you're not the best writer, you know, you, you kind of get the idea and you hire like one or two writers and then it like really gets under its own steam. Mm. Uh, and, you know, with, uh, with Stripe, it's kind of the same thing where, uh, you know, Patrick and I don't write much code day to day anymore, but uh, you get that first version of the product that people start using, and, and, and it's hard to bootstrap that, right? And I know people who've done it, and like, it's really impressive when people build uh, you know, a technical product or any kind of product without knowing to code themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, there's uh, one founder I know who I really respect, and she uh, has built like a number of companies at this stage. She doesn't know how to code, and so she was working with like a team in the Ukraine uh, who was like a, a development consultancy, uh, and so she would send over like specs and stuff, and they would make it, and they would go through this feedback cycle. And like it, it, it's it's a really impressive. Um, it's a really impressive feat, but again, it, it, it's like dictating a novel because you don't know how to write, and then when you go, you have to go back and like edit it. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to like read that back to me, and then it, like it's this like the, this. It, it's so much clunkier, uh, and so I think uh, if you're going to be uh, starting a you know a business online or starting a startup, being able to code and being able to dive in and like poke at the things yourself yeah. uh, is is the most important thing maybe in, in the very very early stages then when you know something's later it becomes more of a company and there's so many other factors at play yeah. but if you're just like starting a startup day one uh, it's super valuable to, ha- to, to be able to uh, 
you know, at some level, like, there will be code involved, and so you're either, like, writing the code or you're, like, having someone else write the code and that gets compiled to code, but it means you can, like, speak at the, like, at the, at the appropriate layer. Or, or you're so. hostage to someone writing the code, right? Tech- or, you're, or, you're, or you're spending your days searching for a technical co-founder. Uh, right. As we see a lot of... Yeah. yeah. But well, you pretty much said the same thing when we, we had your show. Yeah, yeah, And then you surprised me at the end. You said, what's the one thing? And you were like, you know, learn how to code early, you know? Well, what do you think? Of- and, and I guess my point is that you don't actually have to become the like world's best engineer. Like, I don't actually know like that much. You know, I've never done any formal CS, and I'm like not that great an engineer. Um, but I think like having some minimum level uh, is the really important thing. And so uh, I guess that was my point in the the comparison to the education. I don't think like I don't think everyone should study CS as people study CS in college today. I think it's kind of useful to have. Right. A, a, a my next question level. was going to be uh, who's better, you or Patrick? But uh, oh, is it competitive, Patrick. Patrick. Uh, at engineering. At engineering. At everything else. Everything else is you, and he does the engine. Okay, got it. I, now I know how it's yeah, fits together. I'm moving us along. I'm just going to ask you another couple of random questions, and we're going to wrap this up. If you, um, if you sold uh, Stripe right now for some ungodly amount of money, and you had to sign a non-compete, you can't compete in the industry, and you've got to take six months off, and then we're going to give you 20 million pounds to go do something else, what would you do? Interesting. Uh... Could you take six months off? That's a question. Some people, <laughs> some people can't question. take vacations. Uh, no, I can take vacations. Okay. Um, uh, go fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, no, there's a. Hmm, um, I think the like the, the, there's so many things that I want to say that sound like cliches because they're like the hot topics. But for example, I think drones are legi- legitimately pretty interesting. Uh, I know. Uh, a handful of people now who are running like drone startups uh, mm. and the really interesting things about drones is like there are so many things uh, that uh, the drones are like bringing the internet into the real world in that it's kind of crazy that uh, I mean trivial example if you're like you know a cattle farmer you can't just be like where are my cattle uh, and uh, that's something that is like impossible to answer and that's one of the places that uh, the internet has not pervaded and so the one of the companies I know that's doing drone stuff is doing like a lot of it is agriculture where it's like surveying and things like that or they're doing it in industry for mining or anti-poaching or all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so it's like you know the, the, there's so much data online and you can do so much stuff like Google can crawl the web but you can't like crawl the real world and that was previously extremely inefficient you know anti-poaching the way it worked was like two guys in a you know in a Cessna like flying around the you know flying around the country uh, and they would maybe spot a poacher occasionally but there was like so much that got went uncaught uh, and so the idea behind drones is you're like gathering more and more data and you can have these like kind of very cheap devices um, out there uh, in the world uh, like connected to the internet you know recording or doing something like that and so I think that's a, that, that, that's a good example of just like a really interesting trend that is happening before us I mean there's also the scary surveillance aspect of drones yeah, and I just think, that word it makes everyone kind so of I was going to say for the ones who are because you had a lot of listeners at London Real uh, who are international who are not necessarily tech um, mm-hmm. so anyone who tunes into this just want to just clarify we're not talking about military drones yeah, we could be anyway, oh, sorry, yeah. we're talking yeah. about little the small kind of quadcopter yeah uh, yeah, yeah so, so the you know a, a drone is I mean the, the colloquial word for an unmanned aircraft and so you have the military unmanned aircraft which shoot you from the sky uh, and then you have the uh, like any other kind of uh, like unmanned ro- robotic aircraft and they're getting pretty small these days you know you have drones the size of like a dinner plate uh, and a pretty co- common one is a multi-rotor like a quadricopter yeah. where you have like mm. these four separate ones I got one of those uh, and they're pretty, pretty good aircraft we had a guy but, drink about with one last week actually oh really weeks ago. he was at the, the front flying it around yeah. and, and I think the, the the thing about drones that will have to evolve is that uh, you know in the US they're like very clear 
um, kind of expectations around what's private and what's not in the real world. Like there's all this precedent in case law that like you know a police officer can't enter your house without a warrant. But like that t- that took time for people to develop, to develop the concept of like where are the boundaries and like wh- what's the d- and you know then cars came along and now you know a police officer can like look inside the windows of your vehicle but they can't like get you to open the trunk without a warrant because that's like a private space. But like the back seat of your car isn't a private space. And we've developed all these kind of uh, understandings of like what the expectations are uh, as these new things develop. Uh, and I think in the online world, I mean, as we've seen with all the NSA stuff, we still haven't, like, like there's a, like, whatever you think, there's a clear mismatch of expectations here where, like, uh, you know, people expect the government to not be collecting all data that goes over the wire, and, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I think similarly with drones, uh, there's, like, the very scary aspect of, like, okay, now there's, like, so much more surveillance happening. I think that's, like, fundamentally not a bad thing. Um, it's just, like, we need better expectations. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I think drones are interesting. I, I could see myself doing something there, but I mean, I also just like really like planes and things, so that may just be a, yeah, a puerile be. fascination with a, like things that go flying. A flying head. Um, just a couple more questions. This has been breezing by. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, there's lots of good advice. Lots of it tends to be um, informa- or uh, very context-specific. Uh, in terms of general advice... Um, uh, the, the Y Combinator's motto is make something people want uh, and I think that's a, a reasonably good way to look at it uh, in that the valuable bits of that advice is they kind of leave out everything about kind of market sizing and revenue models and whatever until later because generally that can be figured out if you're devel- delivering value to people presumably there'll be some way to, to collect value in return uh, and so I think that's why you know if you're deciding you know should I do if you're the YouTube guys in the really early days you know you're deciding should I do this and you're like oh well online video is expensive and maybe you know like will people pay a subscription or whatever and they ended up just like pushing that way off into the distance uh, and they're like people really want to be able to share videos online and we're like making something people want and that worked out really well for them uh, and so I think that's a, a reasonable good kind of motto for startups and similarly you often find you know you occasionally run into people working on startups working on these like complete Rube Goldberg machines and they're like oh it's a service and like sometimes like you don't want to be impolite but you like legitimately got to ask like do people want this um, and so do people want this uh, uh, and so I, I think you know if you should have one like completely general piece of I like advice that. I think that's a that's a decent one uh, there's been lots of uh, stripe specific advice but uh, I'm not sure how relevant that would be that's a good one I, I like that, that. do I like people that. want this yeah well is it make something people want yeah that's, yeah that's a matter wow we and get, we get Y Combinator on here one day yeah, yeah, yeah we guys. what's um what's next for you I mean what's uh, what's this year looking like six months twelve months or like what are the big hurdles or the things you're looking most forward to right so I think you know we, we believe a lot in the you know the core idea of Stripe uh, as we've talked about it, of you know anyone anywhere being able to start accepting payments for for what they're creating online, and so the, unfortunately, you know that's good in that it's a very broad statement. It's clearly a large market, and I think it's clearly a thing worthwhile working on. The bad thing about it is like it's a very broad statement, and so there's just like a lot to do. And so we're, <laughs> we're uh, you know we have two countries launched publicly. We have two more countries in private beta. You know we'll be releasing a lot more countries over the next year, um, and we also have. Uh, like the the set of things you can do with Stripe is so broad that we also have a lot of kind of development of the platform. So like I said, you know, recently we started uh, doing really, really cool things for marketplaces where, uh, as I was describing, you can charge money and then, you know, spit it out to various people right. on the back end because mm. so often the fast-growing web companies aren't uh, necessarily charging money for themselves and they're not like completely vertically integrated. They're like uh, connecting a buyer and a seller in a disparate location and they're like just running the network. And you see this trend like again and again and again. Uh, there's a really cool startup I just tried out in San Francisco 
Francisco called Getaround, which is like you probably know Zipcar, the like car yeah, rental yeah. service. Yeah. And Zipcar like own all the cars and they manage the whole fleet and everything. Getaround is like Zipcar but with normal people's cars. And so again, it's like using the liquidity and scale of the internet to uh, to provide the service presumably more efficiently and cheaper. And it's cool because they have like a greater variety of cars and they you know I think will soon have like a greater density of cars than Zipcar uh, because because they're tapping into you know, just regular folks, uh, and presumably as well, it'll be it'll be cheaper than Zipcar over time. Um, but so, uh, I think many of the fast-growing companies are marketplaces, and so we we build some features to make their lives easier. But the, like the the set of things you can do with. Um, uh, like with a paid product is, is so variable. You can like be having some subscription service or like people paying you on a one-off basis or you're like an e-commerce store where you're actually shipping physical goods or you're, you know, a marketplace and there's all these different things. And so a lot of Stripe will be actually just like making life easier for these businesses. And then again, because we're like the backbone of those businesses, there's so much we can do for them to make their life easier. So right now, if you're a business like doing accounting and tax is completely miserable. Uh, and then, uh, I know this sounds kind of boring, but like being able to just like sync, um, your like data from Stripe with whatever is doing your taxes, like that's a really cool feature, and that actually like saves business large amounts of money. Uh, and so there's a lot. We're, we're there's this trend underway where uh, we're going from a world where you have like all your payment data again. It's like banks, gateways, all these companies that don't get the internet. Like banks, if you mm. use them for online payments, still send you a paper statement in the mail at the end of every month. That's like how they do it. Uh, and so you're wondering, you know, how much. Um, you're wondering, like, how much of my money is coming from overseas users? And you're there, like, paging through all the stuff. Uh, and so uh, being able to, like, moving all this stuff online, turning it into, you know, we're a technology company, not a finance company. Mm. Uh, and so taking advantage of all the technology and all the structured data we have is, I think, a lot of what we'll be doing over the next year. You know, I was going to turn it over to you for a final question, but I just thought that when I'm saying all this, I was like, I got to get your take on Bitcoin. Mm. It probably is a whole show, but it's uh, yeah, that's another like we we have come up with ideas for so many whole shows here. Um, uh, but Bitcoin, the thing that I found really cool about so so what Bitcoin is like genuinely like a technological breakthrough, um, uh, and the the idea that like the fully decentralized nature of it um, is, is actually kind of a, a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, accomplishment in that before uh, Bitcoin when everyone talks about virtual currencies mm. really you know like these virtual currencies were just like balance with some online you know you, you have like Facebook balance or you have you know uh, eagle balance or you have you know all these services you have paid them money and they're they, like they give you a gift voucher and so there was nothing like that special or interesting about it like the thing that's phenomenal about Bitcoin is that you hold these Bitcoins and like so long as like there are people in the world who trade Bitcoins you can trade them with them and no one can stop you trading with them it, you know, Eagle can go out of business or Facebook can go out of business, uh, whereas in Bitcoin, it's not that anyone's going to go out of business. You have these um, and, you can, and you can trade them with people and there are no intermediaries. Uh, and so that is legitimately a, a very major breakthrough. At the same time, um, uh, you know, we, Bitcoin is still pretty early in its history. And so I think there's a lot of questions around, you know, if it ends up being so highly regulated that it's just not that useful, it's no better than credit cards, then I think that might um, stop its its growth a bit. Uh, mm. And But the, the thing that's really interesting for me actually about Bitcoin is the, the access component, uh, where 
anyone anywhere can get bitcoins and so if you're a site accepting bitcoins uh, on the web today you know you, you you can accept payments from someone in india or in like germany even if they don't have a credit card so long as they have some way of getting bitcoins and so bitcoin starts acting as this like universal connector uh, where like i get bitcoins by some means maybe i like you know pay my friend cash because he has bitcoins or maybe there's like a service in my country like a you know a, a financial service that turns uh, you know, it takes my local payment method, takes M-Pesa in Kenya uh, and gives them bitcoins in return. And then I pay the service with bitcoins and then they in the back end convert it to dollars for their earnings. And so I don't think you'll see like, I don't think you'll see the word, Bitcoin. if bitcoin succeeds, I don't think you'll see the word bitcoin around a lot. It'll just like silently be there, uh, you know, like providing value. Like, you know, wh when you buy, uh, you know, when you buy anything, when you buy an iPhone, like foreign exchange was involved there because like, you know, there was a Chinese company manufacturing it uh, and like money had to be converted uh, into other currencies along the supply chain. But you don't think like, hmm, a new iPhone, foreign exchange. Uh, and so similarly, when you're doing an online payment, even if Bitcoin sits underneath it, I don't think you'd be like thinking about Bitcoin or I don't think the word Bitcoin will even play there. You might just have it. What if, um, you know, you were paying for something and like it was silently being converted to Bitcoin and then like converted back on the other end. Uh, I think that's in the, the, the success case of Bitcoin is like a world where no one really talks about Bitcoin. Wow, really interesting. Uh, what did I miss, Bryce? I got two. I got two final questions. Okay, go okay. for it. Number one, who's your uh, who's your favorite uh, startup right now? One, mm -hmm. one, say one, one fintech and one non fintech, just mm -hmm. for just for fun. So, yeah. is that uh, one question or two? Questions? That's one. That's, oh, one. that's one. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, I mean, I already talked about this. I'll do the non fintech first. I already talked a little bit about this, but I think the whole marketplace world or ecosystem is not a fad uh, in oh, that you look at um, Airbnb like they're just doing a really interesting thing where uh, before it was you know before if you have uh, you know in Ireland somewhere if you have some spare space uh, you don't have the like advertising power to you don't have enough eyeballs to make it worth your while to actually rent that out mm -hmm. whereas now with Airbnb you have this platform with all these people who like want to rent space in like you know whatever town in Ireland uh, mm -hmm. and that, 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 that's a really powerful shift you basically have the like internet allowing these like large communities to interact that previously yep. were just like very, very fragmented and heterogeneous. Uh, and so, you know, like I said, get around is uh, like, I don't own a car in San Francisco and I like rent a car, you know, maybe two times a month using like Zipcar or get around. And so like the internet is allowing me to like use a car even though I don't own one. And similarly with Airbnb for space and similarly with, you know, Lyft and Sidecar for short-term ride sharing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it gets into all these kind of interesting things. There's a startup called um, <coughs> Exec in San Francisco, which is like a cloud labor service. And so if you need someone to like to do something for you, um, uh, and like a lot of companies use them for like temp uh, services. Uh, you can just like uh, say like I need a person, and like a person shows up, and you didn't have to go through all the like interviewing process. Yeah. Like so uh, I think marketplaces mm -hmm. are a real thing, mm -hmm. and they're they're here to stay. And the internet like changes that. Uh, you know, something like uh, Lyft or Sidecar or Halo here in London that that wasn't really possible five or ten years ago because people didn't have good smartphones that were connected to the internet. Mm. And so as we have like better interfaces to the internet that are that are always with us, uh, which is only in the last five years, um, I think that just enables a new set of things. Um, favorite fintech company? Um, here in London, TransferWise uh, seem to be doing really good stuff. I haven't actually used it myself to, mm. to convert money. But apparently they are just like breaking the banks. Uh, you know, it's another case of um, banks have been eking out all this 
easy money uh, on foreign exchange and transfer wise uh, again just saying like no actually it's going to work this way uh, and, uh, and I think that's a really troubling trend for banks which is like they're being unbundled by all these different companies you know you have uh, if I want to actually you know set, set, sell things in my like cafe or you know at a farmer's market or whatever I use Square or iZettle or one of these uh, if I want to like sell things online I probably use Stripe uh, if I want to uh, you know transfer money I use uh, TransferWise if I want to like take out a short-term loan, I use, you know, Funding Circle or... Uh, Bongo or whatever. Uh, or, or, yeah, or in the US, there's, like, Prosper and Elon and stuff. Uh, and so you go from a world where, like, you have banks with these, like, stone columns uh, on the high street providing, like, all these services and this whole, like, platform of services to, like, all these different companies on the internet for each different thing. And, like, gradually, if you keep removing things, I mean, like, there's not a whole lot left. Uh, and so that's I think point. that's, that's a, a troubling trend. For yeah, banks. I mean, that, that was the... Well, I knew you have one more question, but that's kind of the last question. Is it get to a point where banks aren't necessary? You don't need to put the money here to move it to here. We can all be... Yes. So, so, so I'm trying to think what services will stay with banks, um, you know, for the next while. Certainly, like, uh, banks, because of the way, you know, the regulatory environment has evolved, uh, a lot of these, you know, if you talk to TransferWise, they're probably built on, on a bank, and so they, like, hold the money in the meantime, like, in a bank. Mm. Um, and so, like, banks are, are pretty good at storing money, and they're pretty good at, like, being regulated and, like, managing regulations. And so I think you will certainly see for a long time, you know, all these services that I mentioned, uh, like, you know, Stripe, Square, iSettle, uh, Wanga, whatever, they all like back end to a bank. A bank sits behind them at some point, but is in no way exposed to the consumer. And so I think you'll see banks for a long time being like the platform upon which all these various services are built. Uh, I think the problem for banks is that that then becomes a commodity. If I just need you as like a dumb store of money, then it's like a race to the bottom of like which bank can be the cheapest dumb store of money. And so banks traditionally have always like claimed that they're like, you know, relationship businesses and they have, you know, the ad on TV with like the handshake and whatever. At least least it's it's this way in America. Uh, And as they move away from being like relationship businesses and more towards being a utility, uh, then it's just like I can get electricity from this company or this company and I'm just just going to look at the like number of cents per right, price, right? Last question. Last question. Last question. Then we'll okay. wrap this up. So we, we, we're talking about some ideas and interesting questions. And of course, um, for any founder, um, the uh, one of the inter- most interesting areas in startup is is the VC. So mm-hmm. yeah. we came with the question. We want to know who, in your opinion, is the cool VC. Cannot be one of your own investors. Is the catch? Oh. So who do you think is a cool VC? Who's a VC that you would most want to have a beer with? With the, that's not one of your investors. So that, that I would most want to have a beer with. Yeah. Um, and why? And why? Uh, <laughs> I like this question. It's like because yeah. all the VCs have different. Everyone's always got a different opinion on the different right. VCs. Um, so yeah, I mean, our our investors are. And this is not the question, but our investors are uh, Sequoia, uh, Andreessen, uh, Redpoint. General Catalyst, those are the kind of institutional investors as well as yeah. some like larger angels who, I mean, they're not really angels because they invest reasonably large amounts of money like Peter Thiel. Um, and all those are, 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 all the people we work with there are pretty good guys. Uh, the other kind of uh, fairly well-regarded firms in the Valley are like, you know, Benchmark, Kozla, uh, ones like this. 
people I'd want to have a beer with. Uh, you, you not to talk investment. It's just like, not to talk investment. I, I just, so uh, uh, first round capital. I don't know if you've seen. They do these like crazy videos every year with uh, like based on memes, and they're like slightly uh, awkward, but they're they're like awkward in the like fun family Christmas photo um, uh, way, in that they did um, uh, uh, Friday uh, Rebecca Black spoof. Oh, uh, uh, I think I did, did see like, this. They did like the Old Spice another year, uh, and so <laughs> they seem like a first round capital, like pretty yeah. chill guys. Like if you can like one of the guys was like in the bath towel like being the old spice guy i think that was josh copelman uh and so he was there like in his bath towel recording this uh and like if you can if you can do that um yeah. for a video for you know millions of people to see i think you're probably a good guy to have and what about do you know what about the european vcs yeah I, so i don't know the european vc scene that well mm. um uh i mean i would turn that question back to you like you tell me who we should be oh no i can't i'm the host you're supposed, to, <laughs> you're supposed to be impartial. I thought yeah, I could. Yeah. Uh, I thought I could pawn that one off. That's a great question, though. I like that. I just, it's just always interesting. I'm always interested to see that like, because it's all. It's it's a funny world in, in which perception is often everything, and, mm-hmm. and half the battle is 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 this somebody I'd want to have to be with? Well, this well, is interesting. Uh, and this is the classic one of you know the polls in the 2000 presidential election showing that like John Kerry was the um, the the person that people thought was more competent, and George Bush was the person they wanted to have a beer with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrifying analogy for. Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's interesting though, because I mean, I guess all money isn't the same. You know, if you're looking for a certain investment at a certain market cap, you have to think a little bit beyond. Yeah, that, no, it's right? interesting. And VCs have managed to, you know, you would think that it is, but VCs have really managed to, you know, you talk to anyone raising investment uh, in the in the Bay Area in the in the marketing concept of the Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're talking about which engineers have the or which investors have this value, and you know, who has the best connections, uh, and like what services each one's provide. And the VCs have really turn the conversation towards like you know working with a firm and partnering with with them and you know what you value and which you're going to go with rather than again a sheer like utility a sheer like numbers for stock game uh and i think that's like uh, uh, that's certainly very good for the investors right because they get to compete on something other than price mm. excellent how do people get a hold of you do you want them to get a hold of you? Uh, I'm just jonathstripe.com. They're more than welcome to get a hold of me. Um, at Twitter, you're at Collison and at I'm Stripe. At right? Collision on at Twitter, which causes no end of confusion. Oh, wow. You're at Collision. Yeah. Did you well, do, that on, do just... that on purpose? No, I, I did it on purpose. Uh, so it was like you know, a handful of people used, um, not very often, but a handful of people used nickname me uh, Collision uh, when I was a teenager. It's a cool name. And, I, uh, I almost saw it a few times. I've just, yeah, I've yeah, just yeah, yeah. I've um, bunged up that tweet that I sent before this started. <laughs> okay. uh, you wouldn't be the first. Um, but yeah, at Collision on Twitter, John at Stripe.com, John with an H uh, at Stripe.com uh, on, uh, on the emails. Uh, and yeah. Awesome. You know, um, thanks so much for coming. You know, when I told a bunch of people today I was going to have John on, I was like, yeah, he was 17 and he sold his first company and now he's 23 and doing this. And, and some people get that look in their eyes. They're like, oh, what am I doing with my life? And they're like, I already don't like him a little bit. But I had the complete opposite reaction. I read like John's bio and I'm like, God damn, I want to talk to this kid because I, I love kids, sorry, young men. I just love seeing young, young uh, men doing things that I might not have been doing at that age. And so um, really excited to hear your story, man. Really well, thanks for having me on. This, me was a, this was a fun chat. And Bryce made it happen. The man behind the scenes. Oh, Sarah. you shush, Brian. Cool. Well, this is, a, this is the first time you'll see Bryce. You're going to see him uh, hopefully uh, once every two weeks or who knows when. Um, sub it in for Colin as we continue this crazy journey, yeah. which is sil- Silicon Real. Silicon Real. Did I miss anything? I think we're good. I think that's, uh, that's a wrap. Cool. If, yeah, if you want to listen only, we're on iTunes. Uh, you, know, you can uh, check us out on Twitter, at Silicon Real, and um, we'll be doing this every week. Somebody uh, from the, the technology startup community, either here in London or coming through London, you know, like in John's case. So that's it. It's about the people. There you go. Sweet. All right, guys. Thanks very care. much. Welcome to London.
saying. And it's so great you're doing it. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's needed, and you know, I want to help you get as many people in this seat and telling these stories because it's life is a series of fascinating tales, yeah. and that's all it is. You know. Yeah, yeah and I just yeah. want to emphasize that this Silicon Real project that Colin had the idea, and that I'm going to help to do. It's really all. We can